Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 37 of Dead Man's Chest. You're welcome. God, I hope I don't have to apologize to you again in this episode. Oh, I wish As you, you can would see, have to. <laughs> oh, I'm still... Bitter? Bitter about that. Yeah, that's a good word. Not like, oh, I'm so glad I had this opportunity to tell people that I would admit my mistake and apologize. No, I actually feel bitter about it. My of course you do. My stone cold heart is just shriveled another notch down and it just uh, makes me a little sad. That's why I'm going to head straight on into the minute and maybe I can forget my sorrows. Straight on to through to the other side. You already messed that up. See, that's just sad. In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow... Wait. Did you just mess up the doors? Yeah. How dare you? I mean, seriously, how dare you? <laughs> In the previous minute, Captain Jack Sparrow introduces us to the little tricks of 18th century hygiene. Body odor cramping your pirate style? Making it hard to put the moves on those Tortuga winches? Or did you want to interrupt something in this great monologue I have going on here? <laughs> Tell me what it is. Paprika? Arr! Then why not give Paprika a try? Thanks for spoiling that. <laughs> A shake under the arms and presto, you're ready for a night of fine dining. The essence of spice to ensure you're tender and fall right off the bone. Meanwhile, Gibbs, Will, and the remaining Motley crew try their hands at science by demonstrating conservation of momentum and energy using a series of life-size swinging spheres. Unfortunately, they haven't quite mastered how Newton's cradle is supposed to work. You know Newton's cradle? No. It's those uh, metal balls that click. Oh, click, okay, click, yeah, click. those are always fun. In fact, I think I need some for my desk. Oh, this show, it doesn't make money. It actually just makes me spend money. Because now (laughs) Heather needs some balls for her desk. Well. Spheres. Metal balls. Metal spheres. Clicking. A bunch of dangling metal balls hitting each other. (laughs) I think you're getting worse as you go along. Something like that. Newton's Cradle. Minute 37 begins with the repeated attempts of the captured Black Pearl crew to swing the bone cages and grab hold of the rocks and plants of the ravine wall. Success happens at second 17 for you technical lady over there, to the delight of the crew. That really is a bit of technical aspect for Heather over there. Yes. The minute ends with the two bone cage groups scaling and racing for the top of the ravine. A lone Pelagostos makes his way across one of the suspended bridges, the climbing and escaping crew in the background. Will sees the potential danger and begins to tell the crew to quiet down. This minute has one hell of a white knuckler in it. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm not a aficionado of heights. Let's just say that. You're not? I can do them if necessary. Yeah, I can do them if necessary. 
Ah, 12 feet is the max. 12 feet? Get the hell out of here, 12 feet. I've been on a ladder longer than that. On top the roof. Sure, I was suspended by a number of cables, but I could get what up there. What roof did you get on top of? We had that roof. I went Not on top the roof, but a ladder all the way to the top when I had to fix something up there. 12 feet high? No, it wasn't 12 feet high. How dare you? We have a ladder that went up to get... Um, you know, I... You know, I said this last show was going to be the last for a reason, and it should have been. And now I went back on that. We're here again. And now I'm going, why didn't I just end the whole series? But no, we're here again. There's this oblivious Pelagostos dude walking across that suspended bridge. A bridge with no freaking sides or handles. What in the holy hell? I mean, tell me that's not spooky bridge action right there. Spooky bridge action. A slight breeze, and that guy may be free-falling. Free? Yeah, I said free She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Okay, that's enough. She's a good girl. I said that's enough. How dare you try to upstage me? Man, you're always just upstaging me with my beautiful singing voice. Shiver me timbers. But that's what he'll be singing on his gravitational plunge if he actually just falls off or a slight breeze hits that guy. Seriously, where's the Pelagosto Osha? And why did they approve this crazy bridge? Would you walk across that thing with no sides, no rope handles or anything? Yeah. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. Are you serious? No, this is seriousness here. This is a serious show where we discuss Pirates of the Caribbean and aspects of it and things we see historically. And I want to know if this bridge was not a white knuckler for you or anybody else out there. Over that ravine that you just calmly walk across it. You know, the next thing you know, you get a splinter on some wood. A big splinter in your toe, and you kind of keel over, you're often dead because there's no handles on this thing. That's a scary bridge. Are you sure about that one? It doesn't sound like you're paying attention. It sounds I like am. I got buttons going on in here because you're not Is really here today. Is it worth a million dollars? What is this, a million to dollars? To climb across a bridge. Okay, see, this is where it goes all downhill. Are you sure about that? Yeah. I could do it. Okay, we're not saying that there's a million dollars on the line. Okay, or more. but I could do it. We're just saying that you're just casually walking across it as part of your everyday duties. Okay, well, you the... get used to it. Oh, man. Right? Sometimes I, I don't know if you'd get used to that. That just seems dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. The rope bridge, aka simple suspension bridge, aka simple suspension bridge. <laughs> okay, bad inside joke. Is the oldest known type of suspension bridge and ignoring the possibility of pre-Columbian trans-oceanic contact, which is going to be the title of this episode. It has railing. It has places to put your hands. Where? Sorry, I had to look at that bridge one more time. It is a pretty spooky bridge and I'm not sure I could actually walk. That's right. Because you were probably thinking of the one that Jack was crossing. Because some of them do have these handles, these rope handles, yeah. kind of sides to them, and others don't. It's like the ones they use every day, the common ones have that. The other ones are just like, hey, this is where we keep our meat. We don't want a bunch of handles over there. The one over the death trap. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Because now, oh, so now all of a sudden you're not as brave. You just don't want to walk across that plank or over that huge gorge like that. Yeah, I'd probably have to go hands and knees down. See, oh, that's it. what I'm saying. I'm talking just walking across like this cannibal. Pelagostos? Yeah. So if I can get back to where I was before you realized, yeah, I was right. So now we're even from the other day. So I think I was talking about the name of this episode, the pre-Columbian transoceanic contact. Actually, it was a, ignoring that possibility. 
There were at least two independent inventions of the simple suspension bridge in the wider Himalaya region and South America. Oh, really? Thanks for that canned response, Scott. I was able to push the button just in the nick of time to have the oh, really? Oh, really? (laughs) The earliest reference to suspension bridges appear in Han Dynasty records on the travels of Chinese diplomatic missions to the countries of the western and southern fringe of the Himalaya, namely the Hindu Kush range of Afghanistan. Did everybody get that? And the lands of Gandhara and Gilgit, in case people were wondering out there. These were simple suspension bridges of three or more cables made from vines where people walked directly on the ropes to cross. Later, they also used decking made from planks resting on two cables or vines. Which is much what this one is. Yeah, exactly what that one is. In South America, Inca rope bridges predate the arrival of the Spanish in the Andes in the 16th century. The oldest known suspension bridge reported from ruins dates from the 7th century in Central America. It's a long time. That it is. People is been it still to... around today? <laughs> you said it ruins. I got in it. ruins. <laughs> How dare you? But there is some that, and I don't have the dates, but I think some of the oldest ones that are still being used are in the, from the 1800s, though. Like the Minihuni? No, that one's not from the 1800s, but that is a different type of suspension bridge. These are simple suspension bridges. Oh, That's okay. a different one. Okay. Not the Hawaiian one. So I was talking about white knucklers. So my grand transition is speaking of things that are white. What are things that are white? What is this? Like the $100,000 pyramid? Things that are white. Will has the whitest, cleanest shirt in town. Let's just say it right here. Well, in the Pelagostos village. Not a speck of dirt, although, okay, a speck of dirt does appear when they successfully grab hold of the foliage on the ravine wall. But other than that, he's managed to keep that shirt sparkling white. This he is a Tide got, commercial going on here. He just got there, though. I get that. I mean, do you? I understand that, yeah. I mean, you would think that the bone cages would have enough grime on it to soil that puffy shirt, though. They're brand new bone cages. Yeah, my point exactly. Brand new bloody nasty bones, (laughs) supposedly. They washed them before they put them in, made a cage out of them. They didn't wash those bones from the look of them. You know what they They did? They dirtied them up. They actually gnawed everything off them. And you know how like uh, people do with chicken bones and they put them all in their mouth and then pull them out to clean them all off. You know what I'm talking about? Do you? You know, we're not supposed to. Give me a funny look. That's because I was almost disgusted of not picturing chicken bones happening to, but human bones. <laughs> and it was a little disturbing, especially you got a giant like leg bone in your mouth here trying to pull that meat off. I mean, these aren't like Tyrannosaurus people here. They're just normal people. <laughs> They're not normal because they eat long That pork. is true. That is true. Not normal. Well, some of them are kind of normal. They eat long pork. That's true. I mean, you're right. Some of those guys had sharpened teeth, as we talked about in previous yeah. minutes. Those guys could be cleaning bones you off. Got, see? Those are the bone cleaners. But come on. There's nothing on that guy's shirt. It's so clean. Why is his shirt so clean? I don't know. It's funny that the rest of the crew, and I'm talking about you, Gibbs. Yeah. Looking at you, Gibbs. Has a dirty shirt. Yeah. Okay. We know that he's been captive on the island longer than Will, like you were talking about. But that's what I expect. Yeah, but he also didn't just come off Port Royal. An off-white shirt. Because of the dirt is what I do expect here. But Will, okay, even traveling from in the same shirt from Port Royal to Tortuga to Pelagostos, you're telling me that that shirt didn't get a little dirty out there? No. He keeps it nice and clean. He's got Tide Pods with him. He was upside down, hanging around. Tide Pods? I mean, this is a commercial for Tide. This episode brought to you by Tide. Don't Keep eat your them. pirate shirts white as can be with Tide. And don't eat your Tide Pods. 
That's true, but if you're a cannibal, maybe you should think about eating Tide Pods. <laughs> Although, Black Pearl Show does not endorse the eating of Tide Pods, whether you're cannibal or a vegetarian or regular. <laughs> Carnivorous. Like, what does vegetarian carnivore? have to do with this? I don't know. I guess the matter of fact is that we need to have our hero looking his best at all times. Yeah. He needs to have the white shirt to distinguish that he's the hero. That's why he's got the perfect white teeth. That's true. Yeah. You can't have the hero all nasty. Exactly. That would really be pretty cool, though, to actually have a hero appear of the time period. Will's all nasty teeth and the dirty shirt. No, because then we wouldn't like him as much. Oh, so then we would be, oh, this guy's got to go. Yeah. Could freshen up with some paprika as well. How do the Pelagosos get the captives in those cages, actually, now that we're talking about Will in the bone cage? Do they put them in and just kind of roll them off the cliff, theme park style? Or do they use like another rope to lower them gently into place? If so, where's this other rope attached? Do they yell to the captives, you know, please unhook the rope now that you're down there. Gibbs is like, well, we better unhook the rope they just asked us to. I don't think so. How do they get them out of the cages then? I mean, someone climbed down there? If so, then what would prevent the prisoners from grabbing and throwing the Pelagostos off? So some great questions. Maybe they have a pulley system. No, it looks like it's just a dangler here. I mean, they might have some kind of grappling hook system where they can throw it and grapple the side. But then what's to keep the people in the bone cages from taking the grappling hook off? I'm just really interested in that. How does that work? I definitely have some unanswered logistical questions on the bone cages then. Besides being supposedly fresh off the vine, fresh out of the body, yet look very old, stained bones, as we were talking about. Yeah, think about it. How do they get, how does that work, the bone cages? There's a door, for one thing. That's how they get them in. Okay. we. Okay. Then they tie the door. We got that they got in the cage, okay? I'm talking about how they really get them down there and then pull them back up to eat them. I don't know how they pull them back up. Because there's got to be either some grappling Maybe hook they mechanism. shimmy down. Maybe, but then. So they got, shimmies down with a rope. They tie the rope on the bone cage. Maybe just to the top and then that way everybody, then they kind of pull it up, I guess. Yeah. That would have to be it. But yeah. what's to prevent the other guys from like untying that rope or throwing, you know, grabbing at the guy shimmying down the rope? They're too weak at that point in time. Possibly. That's a good explanation. They're uh-huh. kind of weakened in the bone cage from no, because they're not getting no like food, food no or water, water delivered. Nothing. Yeah. Can I get some water, please? You know, so you're right. Maybe it's like a weakening thing. They're they're getting them weak so they don't have to deal with them as much. Exactly. Okay, I'll go with that. Because you figured they, that... Uh, Gibbs and them were in the bone cage before Will got put in the bone cage. Were they? I don't know. That's, That's what, what I, I thought, but I don't know. Then how did they, so they brought everybody up to put Will in there? Maybe. Do they make no. people climb down the bone cage? So you got the bone cage. How do you cage. force that though without guns? That's true. I don't know. Because then they could just, as, if they climb down there, they could just as easily try and climb up and out. Yeah. So I don't know. Unanswered question with the bone cage. Mythbusters actually tested this bone cage stuff. To see if it would work? Yeah. Okay, wow. Is that a real myth, though? Or is this kind of like one of their movie tests? Probably had to be one of the movie tests. Like, could this actually work? They attempted to recreate the swinging the hanging cage segment. Okay. But were unable to cause the cage to swing far enough to reach the canyon wall. Oh, really? They concluded that it was a good cinema, but impossible in real life. Really, you think that you could actually get some momentum back and forth like that, but maybe you can't get it high enough to grab the wall. That's basically what they found then. 
Yeah, they said a group of six people in a suspended spherical cage could swing over to one side of a ravine using only their body weight. Yeah. Uh, so they built cage from steel tubing and tested it for safety and ability to swing. Then took it to a firefighter training facility with a building that could be used as a cliff. With the cage hanging at about 80 feet, a 24-meter cable held up by a construction crane, they were unable to get it to swing on their own. Four circus trapeze performers were built in to replicate the size of the group in the film scene, but the six still could not reach the building. One final attempt with the cable shortened to 40 feet failed as well. Wow. So it was busted. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was my go-to escape method if I'm ever hanging in a bone cage. Yeah. You can't Start swing swinging. it. Can't swing it. It must be too heavy or something. Well, that's a lot of momentum to, to be doing right there. Yeah. To get it up that high. To be able to grab the wall. That's the problem. Right. Because you're now dealing with angles here in physics. Right. To be able to grab that, to get it high enough so you can actually grab something and hold on to it. Yeah. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So they also tested, they had a group of six in a suspended cage, if they could grab a hold of vines on the ravine's face. A section of the rope rigging was hung from the building to represent the vines in the movie scene. When the crew hauled the cage back with a rope and let it swing over to the building, the six prisoners were able to grab a hold and keep a grip of the vines. They were then? They were. So they could do that part. They just couldn't they swing high They just couldn't swing enough. it, right. And they were also able to climb. Oh, were they really? Yeah, they could actually take the vine and climb up the wall like um, huh. Gibbs and them are doing here. I see. So the only part was actually reaching the was wall. Swinging was swinging the dangling. cage. Huh. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I got it then. Busted. Busted. Part of it busted. Swinging busted. The swinging busted. The rest was good. Okay. Rest was doable or plausible. That's how they say it. Oh, thanks for the science there. You're welcome. The pirates, though, they're pretty backstabby, though, when they're not on the ship, don't you think? Yeah. Well, you have the devoted crew to um, Jack Sparrow in one bone cage here, right? That's right. And then you have the more eh, not so devoted. You mean the red shirts? Yeah. In the other bone cage. And so... Captain Jack Sparrow Kirk has ordered a bunch of red shirts down and they're in the other bone cage. You That's got that, not right? the bone cage you want to be in. <laughs> the red shirt cage. So you have, you know... So they're not totally pirates that would get along with one another anyways. They'd be arguing all the time. You know, the ones in the red shirt ones are more sketchy well, than they, the Jack they Sparrow They were already disgruntled back on the Black Pearl right. when they were in the Mediterranean. So it's not like they weren't having ill feelings of not having any treasure. I mean, some of the Motley Crew originals were a little bit like tired of not having treasure either. They wanted right. a plan. But these newcomers were a bit more on the, okay, we're ready to toss Jack over and start this right. treasure process. And they're probably part of the crew that booted Jack in the first place. Well, how about they just wait for each other? And I mean, that gives them a better chance of escaping and getting the ship out of the water. Or not out of the water, in the water. If they were to just wait... But it's nope, every man for himself is the apparent attitude here. Or every bone cage for itself. Yeah, every bone cage for itself. Okay, I'm not saying you have to stick around for a long time. It's not like I want everybody up there lounging around while the other bone cage is trying to climb up the wall. Climb or climb? Climb. Climb up the wall. Okay. But, I mean, if everyone gets to the top of the cliff about the same time, or even if one has a small head start, there's no need to take off running for crying out loud. Jeez, I mean, the loyalty runs skin deep with these guys. It's like... Deep fried skin deep in honor of our K 
cannibal friends. <laughs> now, I'm not saying hanging around a cannibal camp is fun because I wouldn't want to do it. No? No. I mean, maybe this is the best example of when every man for himself is actually appropriate, though, in a cannibal well, yeah. camp. Yeah. But don't you think that they would have at least tried to hang around? I mean, he gets that look like, oh, my God. Or he actually says, oh, my gosh, basically, oh, dear, or whatever it was. Yeah. When he drops a bomb that only six need to be able to successfully crew the Black Pearl. Right. Six in each cage. Okay, the first one to the top, and they make a sprint for it. They're out of there. But come on. They're right there. Just calm down and all work together here. Right, because if one cage gets up first, you could help the other crew and whatever. But that you could all more... run to the ship, yeah. and it would be quicker to get off the island. And that's what I'm saying. Leave it Jack behind. Help. That's right. <laughs> it leaves more people to go that way. Because that's the thing, though. If Will Cotton Gibbs and stuff get up there first, are they going to leave Jack behind and jump on the pearl and get the hell out of there? Because that's the problem. If they're up first, their only way to secure safety is for them to run to the Black Pearl. Because if Leech and his teams get up there, his teammates get up there, they're not going to go save Jack. They're making a run for the Pearl. Right. So if Gibbs and them get up there, get away, and while they're trying to rescue Jack, Leech would finally arrive at the top. And then they're making a run for the ship. And either way... Gibbs and now Jack, and if they are successful, they're not going to have a ship to sail on. Right. Work together, guys. Right? Yep. Every man for himself is a well-known English idiom dating back at least 400 years. Really? See how I wove that in there? Yes. I know it's not explicitly stated here. I mean, since I brought it up, the full idiom is, it's every man for himself and the devil take the hindmost. Really? It's all about history here. It's a learning experience. They learned me well. <laughs> Them pirates of the Caribbean. Basically, it means get out fast, obviously. No one is staying behind to help you, and the slowest may well die or get left behind, something like that. Well, that's a little rude. Some of the first written examples of this phrase, circa 1385 from Chaucer's Knight's Tale, 1182. At the king's court, my brother etch man for himself. There you go. 1515, A. Barclay Eglogs, etch man for himself. And the friend for all is what it was saying. Oh, really? And then in 1562, J. Haywood, every man for himself and God for us all. So there's some variations of that, but it's yes. been around quite a while. We were talking about the white knuckler part, though. I should have brought this up earlier. Is the, well, the Pelagostos guy crossing the bridge. Yes. Our bridge native here. It was played by Alex Kong, and he was named Cannibal Bridge Guard in the film's credits. Oh, really? He has four film credits under his cannibal belt, an assistant cook, and everybody hates Chris from 2007. I wonder what he's cooking there. It's interesting. Long pork. Oh, yeah. Spam. Our dead man's chest appearance is in that. An occult member in Dude, Where's My Car? And a voice actor in Night at the Museum. Voice of what? I didn't look it up because it wasn't there. It just said voice actor. But I'm assuming, well, I don't know if I want to make assumptions then. Even though they had some kind of native people there. Let's just say they had, who is that? Genghis Khan and his group. But let's just say he's a voice actor. And I don't want to stereotype him into the cannibal Genghis Khan tribesman type. You're putting into another cannibal tribe. It's fitting. I don't think Genghis Khan was a cannibal. <laughs> you just said. No, oh. a tribe. I didn't want oh, to stereotype him into a oh, tribe. Oh, I misunderstood. I'm not sorry. Not another cannibal tribe. I misunderstood. Now you're impugning the reputation of one dear Genghis Khan. No, 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 no. I didn't. I misunderstood. I thought a you hero were among actually. Many. 
Actually, it'd be great if we could get Alex Kong on our other show at the table at the Donner Party. Oh, he yes. could really speak to some of that. That's all I got, actually. It was kind of a short segment of stuff. Did you have any other new things you wanted to bring to the table here? What about Marty just sitting back, not climbing the wall? He's just cheering everybody on. I think that's a good spot for him. He's like the, what is Cheerleader? that? Cheerleader? Coxswain, I think, in a boat where they have a smaller person. Usually it can be like a, uh, a really like petite woman who like does the... Now you're saying Marty's a petite woman. No, I'm saying it's like that. I'm drawing a parallel between the two. In the rowing competitions and stuff, they have somebody that kind of helps keep the rhythm of the rows. Yes. And it's a, they want someone who's smaller and light because they don't want to have an extra bunch of weight in there to be rowing. Right. Marty here is kind of taking that position since he knows that he might be a hindrance for climbing. Plus, if he's smaller, he doesn't want to slip through the bone cage that would be falling out. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. So he's hanging on, and I think he's kind of keeping the rhythm of everybody, like the coxswain. Oh, okay. And getting everybody up the hill faster. Not really the hill, but up the ravine. Hill's he's, okay. Uh, he's, hill. he's that moral support. Okay. That and makes sense. first and foremost, he doesn't want to plummet to his death. Well, nobody would want to do that. Exactly. That's it for me. So we're going to leave on a happy note of Marty cheering on the Motley crew as they race to the top of the ravine. Yes. Okay. We'll be back on Friday with minute 38 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again, and Season 2 is here, and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew Listeners Group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.